You talk about people, you talk about things that really aren't important at all. You talk about weather, you talk about problems we have here at home and abroad. But friend, I'm excited about a solution for the world I'm gonna shout and sing and it's Jesus Christ is still the King of Kings King of Kings Couldn't help but think, was that some of that prednisone <laughs> piano play? No? Okay, okay. <clears throat> well, good morning and happy Sunday. Um, so glad to be in the Lord's house. I want to welcome you all to Hammer Creek Baptist Church. And uh, let us begin with a word of prayer. Um, dear Heavenly Father, we come to you with, with hearts of praise. And God, we just want to give you thanks for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for Christ Jesus, that we're the people that know that he's the King of Kings. Lord, as we have gathered here, we pray that you would move in each of us in a way, Lord, that we would worship you, that we would glorify Christ, and that we would honor you with all that is said here today. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Um, just a few quick announcements. Um, we have to have a members meeting Wednesday. We've got to do this every so often. We don't have one every uh, month, but we do need to have a business meeting once in a while. If you have anything that needs to be addressed, um, please let my wife know and let her know by tomorrow if you can so that we can go ahead and print that agenda. Um, also, the second announcement that you see in there, and we'll keep announcing this, um, we are going to do something called Tables of Eight, and we're going to do it right after Sunday service, and we're going to have it right over here in the fellowship, or what do we call this, the Family Life Center, and you don't have to bring any food. We're going to have the food, and it is a, it's a real simple fellowship, but you have to sign up because since we're making the food, we need to know how much 
um, we're going to prepare. But this is, it's a fellowship event. Some of y'all are looking at me confused. It's going to be fun. There's going to be eight people at each table. And guess what? You don't get to pick your table this time. Now listen, Southern Baptists can be as clanny as any group I've ever seen. We're going to draw names out of a hat. And you're going to get stuck at a table, and we're going to have prescribed questions. So if maybe you're backward as somebody from Haywood County, and you need help with conversation, we're going, to, we're going to guide the conversation so that we ask certain questions. The idea is just to get to know each other a little better. It's a good thing for a church to do. It's going to be fun. Um, I want everybody to come. And the families that don't ever come to our church fellowship, if they're in your family twist their arm. Make them sign up and, and get them over there. It's going to be really fun and um, I'm really looking forward to it so I hope that you will consider it. Be prayerful about it. We'll be putting a sign up sheet back there. All we're asking of you is your time and your company and maybe a smile. All right. And uh, anyway, looking forward to it. That's going to be March 17th. Um, <clears throat> in fact, we've got a lot coming up uh, but most of it's pretty low key until we get to the ARC trip. Um, we have an Easter egg hunt. Um, again, that's, I asked my wife, I was like, do you want to do that? And she's like, yes, it's a good thing to do, um, good way to get the community involved. So we're looking forward to doing that March 23rd. Um, March 31st will be our sunrise service. It will be our Easter service. And we'll do something very similar to what we have done the last couple of years. We're going to do it not right at sunrise, but at 730 um, and we will probably just go ahead and plan on being inside. It'll probably be freezing cold. Um, it's a very early Easter. Um, but we want you to be planning for that. And the way we've done it in the past is we, uh, we do have an Easter service. Um, we will be having the Lord's Supper that day. And so um, it's going to be a, a wonderful Easter. Um, it'll be breakfast as well. So it's going to be kind of like the way that the church services were in the very early church in the days of Acts. All right. Um, and we've got the ARC trip coming up. We'll be here before you know it. I showed my kids. There's like a two-minute video or something on YouTube. Oh, look at Naomi. She's starting to dance. She is so excited. We can't wait to go. So if you have little ones, show them the video. Uh, of course, they're going to want to go to the petting zoo the whole time or whatever. But can we go to the playground, Daddy? Um, it's going to be fun, isn't it? Uh, so we're looking forward to that. And Allison has an announcement she'd like to make. church money in from all the churches for baby bottle beer ring, but I have counted hands. This side one. Right. <laughs> really? But y'all, y'all, you brought in $2,050. So far, this is the biggest church donation we've got so far. So I'm very, very proud, very grateful. And we have ultrasounds coming up this week. Please bring prayer for those two girls. Um, yeah, so we <laughs> praise the Lord for that, and uh, we're thankful uh, for all of your faithfulness. In fact, I almost forgot, um, Rosa sent a, along a card, and uh, by the way, we'll do prayer requests in a minute, but let me go ahead and mention Kenneth's procedures tomorrow, and um, of course, we took up the, the love offering for them, and uh, they were both very touched by that. Um, Kenneth was completely caught off guard by it. 
Um, Rosa said, says a special thank you for your prayers, love, and support. The love offering was so overwhelming and came at the perfect time it was needed. God bless you all for your kindness with our love, Kenneth and Rosa. Um, but I just want to let you know that um, even though Kenneth is going through cancer and he's having to have a surgery, he got some good news in that it is all isolated in one spot. So hopefully the treatment will, will be surgery and, um, and healing and then back to normal. So that's what we will continue to pray for. And with that, I want to um, mention our member moment. And I said I would never take longer than 60 seconds on one of these. Um, this will be tough for me because it's David and Louise Gardner. And David, he has uh, the distinction, at least to my knowledge, of being the oldest living member at Hamer Creek. He's 92 years old. Um, nobody seems to know how old Louise is, but not as old. <laughs> I should, I, I've asked her before, and she actually gave me the you're not supposed to ask a woman talk. But if, uh, if you've never talked to David, he actually he grew up at Hamer Creek. He used to come to church sitting on bales of hay in a wagon that was drawn by a mule. And he can tell you about days when there were uh, buggies out here. And he was quick to correct me. He didn't come in a buggy. They didn't have a buggy. They had a wagon. And that's different somehow. I guess it's not made for riding in. But he'll talk about the days when there were Model T's and Model A's out here. And um, he talks about the altar not having no carpet in here, just being wood. And during revival, seeing tear stains on the wooden altar and people standing outside the windows with the shutters open. And uh, pretty cool. Now, we don't live in the good old days. We live in today. Um, but I like hearing about those uh, old times. And uh, anyway, their uh, mailing address is up there. I asked them if I could do that. So if you wanted to send them a card or a letter of encouragement, um, as they've gotten uh, along in years, they, their burdens have increased, as is often the case. I asked Miss Louise, I said, uh, is there anything in particular that you would want me to say? And she said, I just miss being there so much. And uh, anyway, so that's Dave and Louise Gardner. And uh, them being shut-ins, we don't see them much, but uh, uh, very thankful to have them as part of our fellowship. And with that, we will uh, go to prayer requests. And uh, so do remember them and the other shut-ins as well. <clears throat> and uh, Adam Bowles mentioned his mother-in-law, um, Ella Batten had fallen last week, and uh, she did go. She passed on, and she's going to be with the Lord. And so we don't want to uh, ask that you remember the Ella Batten family. Remember the uh, Daryl Chapel family as well. This is Carolyn Hussey's uh, nephew who passed away in an accident. And there are many on our uh, prayer request list um, that have cancer, going through cancer treatments. Um, Hard to mention them all, really. Um, I'm going to run through them, but Jackie Howe, Jolie Allen. By the way, Jolie Allen is doing much better. Um, she's on the backside of her treatment in remission, I guess you'd say. Remember Logan Belt, the young man that has the, uh, the tumor. Brandon Bridges' father, who uh, is incurable. Danny Henson, Roger Harville, Kenneth Mask, uh, my grandmother, Wilda Medford, Robert Parks. This is uh, Carol's brother, and... Um, he is in all likelihood in his last days. And so uh, be in prayer for him and his family. Remember uh, Linda Portal, Danny Ray. Uh, by the way, Hawk Owens, many of you know Hawk Owens. He is the pastor at Lomax Baptist Church, and he has been diagnosed with cancer. Um, and I just heard about that yesterday, late, in fact, last night. And uh, so be in prayer for them. Uh, sounds like a very difficult situation. And... Um, be in prayer for his church as well. And remember uh, Gary Mabe. You may remember uh, Francis Mabe being on our 
uh, prayer request list um, with cancer treatment a year or so ago. Uh, this is her husband. Um, so remember Gary, maybe he has a mass in his stomach. I also want to say um, there are many others on here. And I just want to say there are some people that need prayer, could use prayer, and they don't ask for it. Um, I'm gonna, maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to mention a few of them. Um, and uh, you don't have to tell them because some people are more private than others. But I want you guys to be remembering Dockery, all right? Uh, Dockery's going through some stuff, and I just want you to remember him in your prayers. Um, pray that he has peace as he goes through these trials, and uh, pray for a good outcome. Uh, I want to ask that you, well, Christine's not here. Um, pray for Christine and pray for Laban. They didn't ask me to, but uh, I know there's a need there, and so just pray for them. And there are others, um, well, they have many burdens. Uh, Rosa, of course, with dealing with Kenneth. Um, Carol Beeman, she has uh, many burdens. So does Miss Sheila. Uh, sometimes it's things that we're dealing with, people in our family. Um, Harris and Mary, uh, just keep all of these folks. We, we're a church. We're called to pray for each other. It's one of the privileges that we have. And sometimes, I don't know about you guys, I feel awful powerless because I can't do anything for people. But we can all pray. And so let's remember to pray for each other. And uh, what other prayer requests would you guys like to mention today? You know what best Michelle Leibowitz says? Her mother, I don't know her name, but they have an update that she went from ICU to a step-down area. She um, has a brain bleed, but she also is dealing with dementia. She's an older lady, and they're hoping to get her back to her rest home area um, after this weekend. But she woke up very agitated and very confused this weekend. So just be in prayer for that situation and for Michelle and her sister Dana as they work through it with her mom. Okay. Anybody else up here? Any other prayer requests? That's Miss Robin. Pray for Miss Robin. She's not going to ask either, I guess. But Miss Robin's been dealing with some stuff, and Albert brought to my attention this past week. And so keep Robin in your prayers. And uh, like I said, very many people dealing with things. And uh, continue to pray for our country. Um, <coughs> If I get too political, somebody get mad at me. If I don't get a little political, somebody else will get mad at me. But we are Americans, and we live in a great country that was founded on biblical principles and Judeo-Christian beliefs, and we should strive, uh, well, we should elect leaders that will stand up for godly. If we turn our back on God, he, he turns his back on us. And so pray for America. And uh, with that, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Um, and I'm going to pray for us, so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, God, we... Uh, we always come to you first with worship. We come to you praising your name. We thank you for Jesus Christ and his shed blood at Calvary. Lord, that we have salvation by grace through faith. But God, we do have many burdens. We have people that are going through trials that trouble their minds. And uh, Lord, we have those that are going through health trials that are so many that are dealing with cancer and cancer treatments. And uh, Lord, they must feel so powerless as they lay themselves down on tables to let other people work on them. God, for each of them, and Lord, for those that are going through other illnesses with chronic pain, chronic uh, conditions, God, we just pray that your hand be upon each of these. We pray, God, for your mercy. We pray, Lord, for a special touch from you if it could be your will. No matter what, God, we pray that uh, you would use the things that we encounter in this life to draw us near to you, to remind us of who you are, uh, to remind us that we need you, that we might love you more, that we might serve you better. Uh, but Lord, for those that have lost loved ones or those that are uh, having relationship issues or problems at work. God, no matter what the issues be, we pray that you would turn our eyes towards you. 
Lord, we pray that you would minister in all things that we are dealing with, whatever they may be. And God, that we would give you glory in all things in this life. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Stand together. We're going to say number one. Holy, holy, holy. All four verses. Remember, Medford. All four
emergency number 13, all three verses come now found of every blessing. <laughs>
All right. We're going to be continuing in the book of 1 John. And uh, I got to tell you, this is a wonderful little passage that we're in this morning. And uh, I hope it will be an encouragement to you today. You know, I think that the Bible is, is clear that you can know that you are saved. That is, that you can know you're part of God's family. And God wants you to have that peace and that assurance. And so 1 John, being written at a time when false teaching was coming into the church, uh, contains some tests, some uh, litmus tests, if you will, some reminders. And uh, John continues with that today. And so we are beginning 1 John chapter 3 today. And we're going to read the first 10 verses here. And so what I'd like for you all to do is to stand for the reading of God's Word. John says to the church, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. Because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. There's a lot there, and uh, I'll just tell you, we're not going to get to all of it. I could spend the entirety of my time just on the theology that is in this passage. And certainly, anytime we study the Bible, we are studying the theology, the teachings of the Bible. Um, but there is much what I would call high theology in here. And I hope that, I hope much of it, churchgoers, Baptists, I hope it is already known to you. Um, in fact, I, I don't think you're going to get anything new today, but I hope that it's a, a great encouragement to you. And the first thing that I want to point out here is that God has adopted those that trust in Him. Now, I'm going to say that a different way so you don't get confused. That is not God will adopt those that trust in Him, but He has adopted those that trust in Him. And the way that you can know that is because you trust in Him. And that's something that only God's children but all of God's children do. It says here in this uh, passage, in verse 1, it's, there, we see that the, God's people are called the children of God. He says, 
See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And he goes on to say, and so we are. Now you can just pass over that if you want to, but I'm going to suggest that that is a very, very profound point. It says in verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. Which, by the way, the now, if you don't know, it means that at some time in the past, we were not God's children. But we are now. And again, a great comfort. In verse 9, we see the phrase, and it shouldn't be any surprise to those of you that are familiar with John's writing, we see the phrase, born of God. And this has to do with the second birth. And I hope you know that all people are either born once and they die twice. That is, they're born only to the natural birth, never to the spiritual birth, and they must die a natural death and then must die an everlasting spiritual death, what we call damnation. But those that are born twice, born a natural birth, and then born in the Spirit of God, as it says in John chapter 3. And by the way, the Bible says you must be born again. We only die once. The second death has no power over us. And so, keeping this in the context here, God's children are adopted. You know, the sons of God, the direct creations of God are very limited. Those that we would call uh, sons of God in a direct creation sense. They would be the angels and they would be Adam and Eve. But we, we're sons of Adam and and, and daughters of Adam and, and sons of Eve and daughters of Eve. And so we are not direct creations of God, but the Bible says that to all who believe, He gives to them the power to become the children of God in 1 John chapter 12. Elsewhere in the Bible, this Uh, This theology of adoption is evident. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And I believe this, of course, is referring to the same thing that we read in the Old Testament where God says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. In Ephesians chapter 1, it is worded this way. Verse 5, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. And nobody said praise God. I'm going to read that one more time. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Thank you. It says in Romans 8, From God we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In 1 Peter, it takes it a little bit further. It's not just saying that you're a son. In some sense, you can come into my family. But it's saying that you're really a son of God. This is what it says. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once... You are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now there's just a few things I want to mention regarding adoption. And uh, the first thing is you can't adopt yourself. (laughs) This is a work of God. It is an act of God. Uh, In Ephesians it says, So that you are no longer strangers 
and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And let me just say this. It is God that brings you into the family. It is a work of the very Holy Spirit of God that draws you to himself. Now look, you didn't do it. Now I know a lot of people like to brag on themselves and we are a, uh, an entire culture of people that are sort of self-centered. And if there has ever been a back patting, look at me society, it's this one. And we love to, for people to know our accolades and all the good things that we've done. But I must remind you, Christian, that your salvation is in the blood of Jesus and in that alone. And that your coming to God is a work of God. Your regeneration precedes any sanctification, including the trusting in Him. It is a work of God. Any other way, well, if you think about it in terms of adoption... If, you're not, if, if you weren't called in, that's breaking and entering. That's not adoption. That's something else altogether. And so the other thing I want to point out that is in this, this context, but we have to reach back a few weeks to where we came from, is that a, there's only one way to be adopted, and that's in Christ Jesus. There is no other way. It is the most offensive doctrine in all the Bible, and it is so fundamental, it is so true, and it must be proclaimed, and it should be celebrated. In fact... We read a few weeks ago that we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And that cleansing of all sin, only by the blood of Jesus, is what brings us into the very family of God. Now, the only way that we have adoption in Christ Jesus is being brought together in union with him or what we read last week was abiding in him, and that is those that trust in Christ and in him alone for their salvation. Now, you might say, well, Rupert, I've, I've heard the doctrine of adoption. I know that the Bible uses this as a picture of who we are in Christ. If you pass over it that easy, you're missing the point. It should make you feel so special that you should almost be embarrassed, that you can call yourself God's and that you can call him yours and you can know that you are a special creation of him that he has set his love on you and it says here the world won't know you because it didn't know him but that's okay because guess what God knows you and you know God now which is better in fact let's talk about some of the benefits of being adopted children and uh Adopted children receive the Father's reward. And I could get plum carried away and spend the rest of my time here. I'm not going to. But some of the things that we see just in this passage, uh, first and foremost, it says, see what kind of love the Father has given. So firstly, the first benefit of being in the family of God is having the love of the Father. I have to tell you, I, people where I come from, men don't use the word love a whole lot. And it's a shame and by the way, if any men out here, if you're in this crowd and you're too tough to tell your kids you love them, shame on you. You tell them today. Uh, but I can remember, I think, the first time I heard my father tell me that he loved me. I can remember it. Now, I'm going to tell you, it was special to me. I'm not sure I didn't pry it out of him. People need to know that they are loved. Men, your wives need to know that they are loved. And wives, I don't care how tough your husband is, he needs to know your love. We, it, it, it's, it's part of our humanity. And uh, I'm going to tell you, my papa told me one time, he said, my daddy never did tell me that he loved me. And he went on to defend him by saying, but I knew that he did because, fine. 
but also sometimes say it. And here today, this passage is telling you, child of God, that you are loved by God. And that is so special. I'm going to tell you what I do with my own son. In fact, I've told him I love him too much if there is such a thing. I can go up to him and say, and I don't know how this happened. I think the first time I was actually going to scold him, I said, Johanna, I said, I've got something I need to tell you. And he goes, that you love me. <laughs> well, I was going to tell you if you don't straighten up, you're going to get a spanking. <laughs> and, I, and I said, well, I do. I said, how did you know that? And he said, because you love me so much. And if he was out here right now, and I said that, if I said these words, Johanna, I have something that I have to tell you, he would say, I know you love me. But I want you to know that he's going to grow up. Yeah, we're going to have differences. We're going to have problems. But he's going to know that I love him. And he's going to know that I've always loved him. And the Christian is supposed to know that God, the Father, the everlasting, the Almighty, the creator of all that is, loves you. Don't miss that God loves you. In addition to having the Father's love, you get the Father's name. Now, this is worded in different ways in the Scriptures. Here it just says that we're called the children of God, and I'm using that to, well, it made me think of uh, the verse that says, if my children who are called by my name. And so I got to thinking about the different places where you see this in the Scriptures. In Revelation it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give him some of the hidden manna, and I will give to him a white stone with a new name written on the stone, one that no one knows except he who receives it. I believe this has to do with a relationship with God that is so intimate. In fact, sometimes we have pet names for each other, don't we? And I'll be honest with you, I'm one of those people that kind of baby talks my youngins. And I've got little pet names. For, in fact, I've got too many pet names, don't I? My wife's like, who are you talking to? Uh, but if I get Susie out here and I say, Dill Bitty, all y'all are going to look at me like I'm crazy, but she's going to look at me like Daddy's talking to me. And you should have a relationship so intimate with God that it is like he has a name for you that nobody else knows. You're that close. Now look, you've been married to your wife for decades but you're closer to God than you are to your wife. Same thing, wives, with your husbands. It is so special. And taking a name is so important. And this is why in Christianity we have the tradition that wives take their husbands' names. It is showing a, a, a completeness in identity. My wife was a Noker. She's not anymore. She's a Medford. She got on the Medford boat. She's all Medford now. She's mine. Y'all got it? And guess what? I'm hers. We're together. We have the same name. And in marriage, you have that name-giving picture. Guess what? In real adoption, you take, you take whoever adopts you, you take their name. And so if you're adopted into a family, in fact, sometimes, I don't know if I've told you all this story, but my name is Rupert Hardy Medford. Now, my papa's name is Harold Hardy Medford. So it's a family name. And uh, I gave this name to my son. He is Johannan Hardy Medford. And only after I gave him this family name, and all I knew was that Uncle Hardy was a great man. That's all I knew, and that we carried his name. And so I'm telling my papa that I have named his great-grandson with this family name, and my papa said something that blew me away. He said, Hardy Jones was a fine man. I said, Jones? 
We're Medfords. You let me give my son somebody else's name? You know what he said? He's a good man. Now, very interesting picture there because he wasn't a Medford. And here are some Medfords that are carrying his name down through the generations. There is something tied to a name. And the Bible ties some incredible significance to a good name. And the only good name you can have is your name in Christ Jesus, knowing that you are a child of God, saved by the blood of the Lamb. Now, another thing that adopted, adopted children receive is their father's inheritance. Now, look, if my wife and I were to adopt a kid, we would, we would have four kids. We wouldn't have three kids and some adopted stranger. That adopted child would be one of our kids, and they would get part and parcel of everything that we have when we leave this place. Now, the inheritance that we get from the Father, I'm not going to get into it, but this is some, some of that many mansions talk. Uh, this is the eternal rewards that we have in heaven, uh, streets of gold, and what it really boils down to is that we get to spend eternity with Him. Or as it says in this passage, it says that, well, let me go read it here. I'll booger it up. It says, what we shall be has not yet appeared, but, what, uh, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because when we see Him, we shall see him as he is. Now look, this is speaking of some things that we, this is some of that eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the mind of man what good things God has for those that love him. It's so good you can't dream it up. This is the inheritance of the believer. And again, namely, it is that we get to be with him in glory forever. Now some other benefits are that we get the Father's righteousness. Now look, it talks about practicing righteousness and you know why we have to practice it because it's not natural to us even a bunch of born again Baptists we must do it we must choose righteousness and we should want to choose it because he has put a new heart in us but it is not always natural but it says that the children of God purify themselves as he is pure you know that first hymn that we sang together as a church holy 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 that could set the tone for the Christian life. It should set the tone for the Christian life. And if your father is holy, you should be holy as he is holy. Now, the only way that you can even begin to do that is if you know you have a clean account. But the Christian has a clean account. Because when they are adopted into God's family, he doesn't hold your past against you anymore. He died and bled that it could be cast into a sea of forgetfulness, that your sins could be blotted out, utterly done away with as far as the east is from the west, and I mean gone, Amen. sunk in the depths of the ocean. And he gives you his name, and he gives you his righteousness. And it says here in this passage that the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Now look, Everybody that lives, we're not born by nature as godly people. We all sin. The Bible is so clear on this doctrine, there is no getting around it. But God's Son came to destroy the works of the devil. And indeed, He has, indeed He does. Now, along with being given His name, your identity. You become so wrapped up in God that it becomes the core of who you are, as we said last week. Uh, you identify by his name above all else. And you know, true adoption's like that. You become really part of the family. An adopted child should never feel second to the, quote, biological children. If they're really adopted, they become one of the children. In fact, you know, the Bible takes this so far that in Hebrews, it says that we can call Jesus our brother. 
Now look, I call him Lord. I call him King. But the Bible says that I can call him my brother because I'm in the family of God. Now another thing that believers get when they are adopted into God's family is God's Holy Spirit. It says here, it uses the term his seed, and this refers to the very spirit of God that he places uh, in a person when he regenerates them. The Holy Spirit is uh, the, the earnest, the down payment, is the deposit, is the guarantee of what we will receive when we go on to glory, or that we will go on to glory. And it, by the way, that is the number one thing that should assure you of your salvation is that you have his Holy Spirit inside of you. Now look, none of this happens unless you are born again. And the Bible is clear that you must be born again. It uses that phrase here. Uh, it says that you can tell who is born of God. And, you know, it was John that wrote on this back in John chapter 3. And uh, I've got to go there. Jesus said this. Listen to how strong this is worded. And he is speaking to one of the greatest, the teacher of Israel. That's who he's speaking to. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now look, he'll later say you can't enter, but he's saying you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And indeed, this means being born of the Spirit. This is having a true belief that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's, that's not who we are by nature. Now, some people have a hard time admitting that. They trust in their heritage. I grew up in a Christian family. Once again, God has no grandchildren. I'm thankful for that. Uh, he has no grandchildren. And we are not, you know what the Bible says? It says that by nature, we are sons of wrath. Doesn't sound too happy, does it? It says in Ephesians that we are strangers and aliens. John here is making the case that by nature we are worldly, that the things of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, which we discussed a few weeks ago, the things that are dying and passing away, that's who we were until we came to know Christ Jesus. Now, I have to make something real clear here because I keep talking about adoption. And when we think about adoption, we think about bringing somebody into the family that had no family. But there are no orphans, spiritually speaking. Now what I mean by that, according to this passage and the whole uh, canon of Scripture, you have a daddy, spiritually speaking. It's either God or it's the devil. There is no middle ground. There is no in-between. You are either a child of God or a son of Satan. Now I want to... Remind you, it says here in this passage that the children of God put off the deeds of the devil. Now, they're the ones that are deceived, that practice unrighteousness, lawlessness, that make a practice of sinning, and they're the ones that hate their brother. That's here in this context. But this testimony has been true from the beginning. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, when God doles out the curses, He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. So he's talking to the devil here. Listen, between you and the woman. Now listen to this. And between your offspring and her offspring. Isn't that interesting? Now does the devil have biological children? I don't think so. But everybody who rejects God is a child of wrath. 
a child of Satan. Now, they can say that they're agnostic. They can say, I don't hate God. I just don't believe in him. But the Bible is clear that they are a child of Satan if they do not believe God. Jesus said the same thing. So you've got God saying it in the garden. And then Jesus, he said, this is what he tells his disciples. He says, you can pray like this. In fact, Jerry just did it. He said, Father, we get to pray, as Jesus taught us, our Father, Father God who art in heaven. Who prays that? Believers pray that. Do you know what Jesus said to people that didn't, that didn't know God the Father but that were just religious? This is what he said to them. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Now look, I know that's very unpopular. And sometimes Christians have a hard time admitting this. Let me admit it so you get it. Because I heard a preacher say it this way one time. He said, before I got saved, I was wicked. And then he said, oh, well, I wasn't wicked, but, but you know, I sinned some. <laughs> if you sinned some, you're wicked next to a thrice holy, perfect, righteous God. I, my nature is wicked. It is sinful, and it deserves judgment. The only salvation that any of us has is by grace alone. It's through faith alone in the blood of Jesus and nothing else. That's the testimony of the Bible. In fact, it, it is said like this in Romans 8. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, and indeed it cannot. It is impossible. Our default status... In fact, the Bible's real clear on our power in our default status to be righteous, to earn our way into God's family. You know what it says? Dead. Some of y'all need to write that in your notes. Dead. Here it goes. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Not what the world walked in, what talking to the church in that you once walked. And then he says, following the course of this world. The thing that John's telling us not to be like. Following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You want to hear two good words? You ready? But God... But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. You see, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And that's what this epistle is all about. Are you born again? I was reminded of the hymn that says, Are you washed in the blood? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Now some people, they, the, the non-believer, they, they can't deal with those words. And I've heard people mock them. But the Christian who knows that Christ shed his blood for them. These are cherished words to the Christian. And the last thing I want to leave you with is your life 
tells who your daddy is. Your life, as it says here, makes evident. It says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let me put it another way. You must bear the family resemblance. And again, the sons of Satan, they practice sin, they practice lawlessness, but the sons of God practice righteousness. And by the way, sometimes we do have to practice it, don't we? We can admit that. Um, and it says that we must love our brother. Now, adoption, in very plain sense, uh, if my family were to adopt a child and I set my love upon that child and I give him my name, and guess what? I'm going to teach him my family history. And I'm going to teach him that that's his family history because we've brought him into our family. And then I place him alongside my children that I already have. I clothe him. I feed him. I teach him. I don't hold his past against him. I make him mine. Then guess what? I'm allowed to have certain expectations of him. And God does the same thing. That is different than going to an orphan and saying, clean yourself up and act like a Medford and then I'll make you one. And God never came to anybody in the history of mankind and said, clean yourself up and look like Jesus and then I'll make you my son. Because if God had done that, there would be precisely zero Christians on planet earth in the history of all humankind. Instead, God said, I saved you because I loved you. I saved you because of grace. I saved you to show my mercy. But because I have done that, live righteous. Because I have delivered you, act like my child. We would do the same thing in adoption. And God has done the same thing. He has set his love upon us. What love? The same love that he loves Jesus Christ with. And God has given us his name that we should be called Christians. And we know our family history. It's right here. All the way back to Adam and Eve. And we are placed alongside his son, King Jesus. And we are clothed with a white robe that has not one sin upon it. It is perfectly spotless. It is the righteousness of Christ. We are fed with the bread of life that we will never taste death. And we are taught the gospel by his Holy Spirit and by his everlasting word that we can know true salvation. And God doesn't hold our past against us, but gives us the white stone of absolution, complete and total forgiveness for trusting in Him. And you know what else He gives us? Repentance. Now, some people can disagree with that if they want to, but my Bible says, peradventure, God might grant repentance. And I want to I tell you that God is at work in your life before you ever can repent. Repentance is a supernatural work. It's not worked about by the natural man. But guess what? You must repent. You can't go on in a life of sin. Now, I want to say this, church people. Consider your walk. God has adopted you. He has put his love, his name. He has covered you. He has fed you. And I'm talking, I'm not talking about the clothes you're wearing now. I'm talking about the eternal robe of righteousness. I'm not talking about the food you're going to eat in 10 minutes or if I keep going 20. I'm talking about the bread of life that feeds you forever. Now, do you live like that? That's what John's asking us. Do you live like that? Real personally, do you live like that? 1 Corinthians 6.20 6 says it this way. 
For you were bought with a price. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You live your life one way or another that it's evident who your daddy is. Now if you say I'm God's and you live like the devil, you've got some changes that need to be made. You need to bear the family resemblance of the Almighty. You need to pray that God will make you look a little bit more like Jesus today. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you for the testimony of who you are, of the things that you've done. And Lord, may the call that you have given us be overshadowed by your love and your power and your holiness that we might have the grace to live in you, to know that we are bought with a price. And God, help the Christian to live like a Christian. Help our entire, the entirety of our lives to be marked by an everlasting Father. And God, if there is anybody here that is not trusted in you, we pray that the Spirit say come. The bride says come. And we just compel, Lord, that the lost, the unbelieving would have their eyes opened and believe, repent and believe the gospel. Lord, we know that Man cannot convince. We know that uh, the best arguments will not open eyes. It must be done by you. So, God, we pray that you work in our midst. We ask it in Christ's name, giving you all the glory. Amen. I'm going to ask you all to stand if you would. Miss Betty's going to play. And I'm going to stand right here for a hymn of invitation. suffering or have challenges going on, we don't always realize the blessings that you've bestowed upon us, but you have truly blessed us. We thank you for the gift of your son, the opportunity to truly repent of our sins and to seek out everlasting life. Pray for all things through Christ. Amen. Amen.